Before I introduce my next guest, I wanted to say that I hope you all are well during this COVID-19 pandemic. I do think that all our experiences are relevant to our relationship with God, but with how concerning and impactful this virus is on society as a whole, I find it hard to see what God is doing in all of this. From the many who are severely ill or lost their lives, to the relatively minor inconvenience of quarantine and a forced change of habits. And while the purpose and meaning of events is not always obvious to me, challenges can force us to choose what we find most important and who we want to be close to. I don't presume to have all the answers, and it can sound trite to say, trust in God and that he is bigger than our problems. Of course, I believe those things, but the reality and beauty of those truths are not always obvious to me and are certainly not easy revelations for me, especially not during times like this. And so my hope is that we may see and know who God is in the ways he's shown us in his word and in our testimonies, and also in ways that he has yet to reveal. All the while, we care for those around us through social distancing, prayer, food delivery, distant social interactions, and however else our creativity allows. Stay safe and God bless. On to the episode. Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to May I Ask You a Question. My next guest is Ben Keller, who started Saybrook Ministries and produces content on its website, saybrookministries.org. In this first episode, we discuss Saybrook, how it came to be, and how he hopes it helps, along with a few usual tangents. A link for the website is in show notes. Thanks for listening. Ben Keller, thanks for coming to my podcast. May I ask you a question? Absolutely. Um, So, Ben, I I usually ask people kind of a a timeline of their... uh, uh, testimony and whatnot, but I'm going to approach things a little bit differently. You and I work together uh, mm-hmm. outside of our uh, media generating worlds. Um, and so uh, there's a few topics I wanted to hit with you. And so we'll dive right into it. I'm sure we'll get a little bit into some of the um, some of your backstory and stories that you have to tell. The first thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the website you have, mm-hmm. um, Saybrook Ministries. Is that correct? That's or, correct. That's the ministry and, and the platform for it is... Uh, is is what's the website? Remind me. It's just saybrookministries.org. Saybrookministries.org. Yeah. So um, tell me about it. Tell me about its, its vision um, and how you came up with it. So probably um, I have to go back a little bit. Um, actually, in my case, quite a ways to college. Um, and in college, uh, or right after college. Uh, I was doing some reading, to make a long story short, and reading a a few books by (laughs) Sproul and whatnot, and found out, discovered that I was an Arminian and didn't know it, and then um, became convinced... Which is more of a theological term than an ethnic term. Correct. Correct. Not Armenian, but Arminian. Absolutely. And I love both Arminians and Armenians. Both. (laughs) Sure, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but I found out I was Arminian in my soteriology. That's the $64 word for a doctrine of <laughs> salvation. So um, uh, I had just kind of grown up that way. It was just kind of in the water in my family. And um, became convinced of the truths of Reformed theology. And so that set me on a certain path of study and reading and Bible study and all that stuff. Uh, eventually... Um, uh, one of the first books that I became aware of, I then became aware of uh, Mark Dever's ministry with Nine Marks 
And he would sometimes read from old guys that I didn't know, know who they were, like Richard Baxter or Richard Sibbs. And I'm like, who are these guys that he's reading from? That got me interested uh, with Banner of Truth Publishers, which was started with the help of Martin Lloyd-Jones over in England. And Banner of Truth um, basically reprints um, a lot of the Puritan authors or people in the vein of... Um, Puritan Reformation right, theology right. Yeah. sermons and stuff. Uh, probably one of the first books that I bought from Banner of Truth was, um, I think it's called A Way to Pray, but it's a, a, a updated English version of the scriptural prayers of Matthew Henry. And it was edited by... How did you choose that? Um, I was looking for help in praying. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, and, Good and reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so I picked this book, A Way to Pray. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed to make sense. Um, and uh, Palmer Robertson, who was, uh, had been a professor and um, in recent years has been in charge of a Bible school in Africa, him and the help of a bunch of African Bible students updated the English. Um, and it was published by Banner of Truth. It was a great help to me because in essence, you're just kind of praying scripture. Um, but when you're dry and you're like, what, I, I don't know yeah. what, then it, it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, that was probably one of the first books I got from Banner of Truth and um, actually corresponded a little bit with Palmer Robertson um, when he was over in Africa. And... Um, that began to kind of resonate with me. Um, um, there was something, there was a through line in what I was seeing in the Banner of Truth books that was a blend of doctrine and piety that I found pretty compelling. And I found this to be true of the lives that they would highlight biographically and theologically. Um, and I found that just, that was kind of a growing sense of this is pretty compelling stuff. And this is in comparison with the whole evangelical world, relatively unexplored territory. Hmm. It's it's really enjoyed and uh, explored by a small minority, but right. not, not a big majority. And so then fast forward to maybe three or four years ago. Um, We're just skipping quite a few years. I mean, which is not, skipping not to call you old. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> skipping quite a few years up to when I was 28. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, then uh, I was thinking more and more about this uh, serving happily in a church like I am doing now, serving happily at our company, which I am doing now. Right. You're a bivocational pastor and, and you work right. here, here at, at yeah. RAM. Yeah. So, but I was thinking, is there something, I had a sense that there's something uh, that uh, out there that I'm supposed to do. Um, but I didn't, I was very guarded against the set, the, the idea that that could very easily just be the flesh, mm. you know, that that's like saying you want something. Yeah. Like, like I'm just being selfish. But about Ben, ne yeah. Ben needs yeah. to make his mark in the world and you know what I mean? <laughs> you will know the name Keller. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, I, so I was very slow and cautious about it, but very early on I did have a name and the name was Saybrook. Um, it wasn't delivered by uh, divine message, but it was certainly a strong impression that that was the name to go with, and it coincided with a um, 
an, a, a part of New England history that um, dealt with um, where I feel there was kind of a sweet spot of doctrinal purity and personal piety and also a balance between congregational and Presbyterian polity. So for about 150 years, there was, you know, no age is golden, but there was a sweet spot of um, this is real, vibrant Christianity that's also deep, mm. that's also daily, uh, that also, and also I can link arms with uh, my brother over here who might be credo-baptist as opposed to pedo-baptist or... Um, and not have open warfare and things like that, and that. Right. So I that that appealed to me as well. So that was that was the nature of. Uh, sorry, how did how did you get to feeling that you could link arms with both sides? Um, because say? well, there's actually a, a a Saybrook platform. Oh, okay. Which takes the Westminster Confession and these okay. that these guys signed on to. Who's uh, these guys? Um. This. Uh, I'm going to be hard pressed to name names, but it was it's a category though. Uh, like, these these uh, theologians and pastors around the time that I believe Yale was being founded. This was okay. all happening at about the same. You're older time. than I thought. Yes, <laughs> um, I was there. I let them. I let them know uh, my opinions. I said a couple hundred years from now, I'm going to need this. Um, also, pick the right font. <laughs> Uh, so that's that became the genesis. So that was that provided me the germ. The okay. uh, it, from there flowed. I also liked the aesthetics of that time period in the sense that you have the preaching is going on in a meeting house where, which is relatively simple. Mm -hmm. I love Gothic architecture. I love all the complex stuff. I love the Sistine Chapel, but. For the preaching of the gospel, I the, the idea of having an unadorned, relatively unadorned building, which uh, has windows open to God's creation and has a pulpit that you have to climb up to, where the pastor is kind of constrained, where he has to simply exposit the word of God and has and even as he's climbing the stairs, he's thinking the only thing that's up there when I get there is the Bible, mm. and I have to. I have to be faithful when I'm up there and turn the hourglass over. Right. And so the aesthetic is such that the the beauty of the gospel is what becomes focused on. That there's not such an adornment, like you right. said, or something that would otherwise distract you from right. what's being preached. And yes, um, it, it its intention is to help you to focus. Yes. So that's that, and uh, I like the image. And of course, I'm sure many pastors failed week to week, but I like the image of. Uh, as you go up the stairs, there's less and less of you by the time you reach the top. Mm. And mm. Um, when you say sorry, uh, when you say that many pastors failed it failed to uh, highlight more of their sermon and less of themselves. You mean like as opposed to like the failure was self-aggrandizement at the time? You mean? Yeah, uh, well, you said I'm, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So for, for today, there's almost oh, complete sure. and utter failure. <laughs> I mean. We've reached the old guy section yeah. of the conversation. That's right. Yeah. Where um, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with movement and passion and all that stuff. But if um, there's uh, even the phraseology of, of a lot of modern churches where you say, I'm going to give a talk. 
mm-hmm. or I'm going to um, just share something with you um, that downplays inadvertently, I'm sure many times, not intentionally, but implicitly it downplays the authority of the Word of God and the authority of the Word going through the preacher. Mm. Um, and and then there are guys, obviously, who are big personalities who um, just f- literally and figuratively are all over the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that could stand to be, this will sound mean, bridled a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so but Saybrook Say on, on its on its website does not have videos of you editing them saying he should be bridled to these. No. Drawing confines for him? No. So, uh, <laughs> um, but so, I'll take that as a suggestion. <laughs> you, you put it on, the, yeah, yeah. Don't give me credit for that one. Yeah. Um, no. Even even thinking about that though isn't um, I, I I call it the old guy section, but it, it, there is an aspect of uh, what you're saying where it's like, man, if only it could be like the old days, right? Mm-hmm. And um, wasn't there also though a cultural sense within those times? I guess specifically, I'm thinking about America, where faith in Christianity was uh, more its saturation of the culture was more accepted. Uh, by the population at large. And so whether it um, takes the gospel and Christianity and its focus off of its loftiness, if it's appropriate loftiness by calling Mm -hmm. it a talk or saying I'm going to share something with you, Mm -hmm. um, do you see it as just like, do you see it as a shame that that's how pastors are um, approaching things? Or do you see it as a shame that that's how, how far culture has maybe lost its sense mm-hmm. such that the pastors almost feel like, hey, I, I still need to connect with culture today. I still need to reach people. And the steps that I have to have them walk up with me are smaller. They're more yeah. graduated. Yeah. They're- so for sure, I mean, look, the when you talk about the meeting house, which is a big, um, I mean, that's the title of my podcast, and that's kind of a lot of the aesthetic that you see on the website. Um for sure, you can't go back and redo the meeting house functioned as a civic center and a church. And I mean, that's all gone. That's not yeah. happening. And um, even geographically, where they're situated would be uh, usually on a hill and usually um, uh, relative to a population and a geography that's disappeared now. Right. So that's, that's all true. What's a little different than um, what people might not have understand or appreciate is there actually was a time and this would this would be uh, I'm speaking broadly of the Puritan generation but I'm also including those who would be in the spirit of the much of what the Puritans were talking about and emphasizing all through the first great awakening with guys like Whitfield and Edwards those that was before for sure you would have a cultural Christianity problem right but most of those guys, when you read them, um, it's not a problem for them. They're 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 worried um, about the souls of their congregants. Often they they'd be more skeptical than you and I are, and whether that's warranted or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But they they they'd be like, look, I'm not sure you're saved. I sure I'm not seeing evidence of 
And, and for most pastors in modern America, they'd be pretty verboten to say that. They'd be they, That's not going to be high on the list of things they're going to say in a visit to a, a person attending their church. But these guys were deeply concerned about the state of the souls of their congregants. So that even when th- crazy stuff started happening uh, in Edward's ministry and the Great Awakening and stuff, he was very slow to say, well, wait a minute, is this flesh? What are we dealing with here? Sure. And is this really going to bear fruit, even though there was he was seeing some fireworks? Yeah. Um, so that I would just modulate what you said a little bit by saying that there actually, um, it wasn't so much cultural Christianity. I'm sure that was there. I would say that um, uh, probably in our country, I would say that the 40s through the 60s of the 20th century mm-hmm. was probably the apex of cultural Christianity sure. where you would have the most likelihood, and I'll just speak uh, again, this might be uncharitable, but you could you could have very full churches on Sunday where 20% of the people were truly born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Right. The rest of them are there because that's cultural expectation. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of a long answer to what you were saying, but it's a good question. Uh, I, I guess part of what I was asking, though, too, was your, your commentary on people needing to be bridled or like kind of mm-hmm. uh, today's pastors. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. So, uh, and, and kind of putting them in juxtaposition towards the the Saybrook platform and right. that time period. Right. What time period are we talking about with the Saybrook platform? Um, you said about late, the time Yale was Yeah, late, I, I late 1600s okay. to mid-1700s. Okay, yeah, sorry, my, my history is yeah, yeah. been as poor as my vision. So, <laughs> um, okay. So I would say this, that's a good question. If, um, it's a little bit like um, training wheels, I suppose, in a sense, where if today's pastors were um, uh, doing a great job of challenging their congregation towards personal holiness and uh, doctrinal fidelity, and weren't chintzing on any of those, right. either of those, yeah. then to a certain extent, I don't care if they're wandering around. Yeah. I mean, you always want to be mindful of, you have, if you have a big personality, you have to be mindful of that and... and Not to step, distract from the content. Yeah, yeah, self-discipline. So, for instance, one thing I appreciate about Mark Dever is he never puts, at least to my knowledge, he almost never puts in illustrations in his sermons about himself. Mm. Because he knows he has a big personality, and he knows, and that's a temptation for him. Yeah. Um, to some extent, though, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but like some some of the bigger names that you've mentioned, and you know, others that come to my mind, like you almost have to have a big personality to be, for lack of a better word, that relevant on on a larger scale, right? Like, right. Uh, you. Not just it's not just a, a look at me type of a thing, but not everybody wants that burden either, right? Not everybody wants that attention. Um, and but but like, I understand what you're saying too is that it's one thing to have that and be willing to take that on, take on that responsibility and the weight of having more eyes look at you and kind of having a bigger uh, tribe or mm-hmm. you know uh, people valuing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to 
in the process of all that, continue to make it about you as opposed to you kind of reflecting your own relationship with the Lord and saying, hey, here's what, what God is teaching me and here's what I understand what God wants yeah. me to know, you to know, yeah. as opposed to, hey, here's how great I am. Right. So I, for sure, I think the Lord would bless certain guys with personal charisma who, uh, it, and it's a gift that can be used where to... Um, attract um, those who find it compelling to build ministry or teaching or preaching. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Obviously, you, you do have to watch it and monitor it. Right. But um, uh, I wouldn't say that's bad in and of itself. I think the Lord uses guys with outsized personalities sometimes for that purpose. Right. And I distracted from you answering the quest, uh, the conversation of, okay, so... And maybe we already answered it, but um, with the current uh, state of the way that certain people preach or whatever mm -hmm. else, mm -hmm. um, you were kind of um, lamenting right? just the, the, the difference of how uh, some of it seems to be me, me, me. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm hearing from you, though, is that you just greatly appreciated from the Saybrook time and that platform, just the intentionality and like the, the obvious... Uh, um, expression of hey this is not about me mm -hmm. I, I'm here as a messenger right and this is the message that I think God would want us to hear today yeah um, not as, not opposed or as opposed to here's my opinion on life type correct of thing. yeah and that gets to actually um, a great um, I heard MacArthur give a talk in uh, John MacArthur John MacArthur um, he did a conference called the strange fire which mm -hmm. was on uh, um Sweet. issues of charismatic issues and, yeah and then a book that came out of that and he kind of um uh, did a uh, um uh, whatever you'd call it after the game uh diagnosis um when he was at a seminary chapel hmm. and i found it very interesting because he he went at, um like he gave reflections on yeah on, like um, how did it go? And it just, but he explained at the time a thing, things that I really uh, found interesting. It wasn't just about the charismatic movement, but he was describing um, the ref movement of revival of Reformed theology since, say, the 60s. Mm -hmm. And the charismatic movement are far and away the two most dynamic movements in Christianity. Mm. Um, and in his estimation, he's like, there's not, even, there's not a close second. It's those two are where the energy is, where the vibrance is. And um, he said that um, it, it the reform, now the reformed resurgence is younger than the charismatic. The charismatic you could date back to Azusa Street in 1906. Um, you know, roughly a lot of people just look at that as kind of the genesis of the modern charismatic movement. Um, but uh, the modern uh, reformed movement, which would include little, uh, the spark plugs that were starting that included guys like Lloyd-Jones, mm -hmm. included Banner of Truth in republishing Spurgeon's sermons and all these things that were going on. So, for example, MacArthur said that he never talked to his dad. His dad was a believer, a genuine believer, deep believer. He never, ever talked to his dad about reformed theology it wasn't even a huh. it wasn't it just wasn't even 
talked about. Yeah. And I, I <clears throat> although I'm much younger than MacArthur, I hasten to add, um, <laughs> I echo with that as well. You know, growing up in a household where it just wasn't even part of the parlance. Yeah. And it, MacArthur says it wasn't until I was seminary that I even heard any of, I didn't, that I didn't even knew, know there were other guys that existed that believed this. Mm. And then since then it has uh, exploded. And I mean, MacArthur's ministry is all around the world. And um, so, um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but the two, the two oh, the, the, the connection is where he says there's charismatic energy, there's the Reformed theology resurgence with energy, but then most of modern evangelicalism, he described, I think not unfairly, as a homogenous um, group that regardless of what the denomination is, generally doesn't exposit scripture and generally approaches uh, sermons with the idea towards felt needs. Mm. So how to have a better relationship with your kids, how to do well in your marriage, um, more almost on the life coach end of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he's right to a certain extent. When I look back at, and I've, even some of the older guys on radio and Christian media, when I think of Chuck Swindoll and Charles Stanley and guys like that, that's kind of where I would put them. They they have very popular ministries, but they're not quite using the sharpness of the sword of the word mm. that, an ex, in my mind, a, a, um, uh, regular faithful expositor is so to some extent though um, it, it, it almost sounds like you would say that the, the felt needs are not irrelevant but it's it's a misuse of the platform correct it's just looking at it backwards in other words obviously the scripture preached is going to impact every aspect of your life so if you're growing in holiness that will affect your marriage mm-hmm. that will affect your relationship with your kids sure all that stuff I just think we often have it backwards, and there's, unfortunately, that gives the message, again, implicit, usually rather than explicit, to the congregation that, um, you know, the Bible is helpful, Mm -hmm. but let me kind of, my advice is probably going to be most helpful. We use the Bible along the way. Right. But my advice is going to be most helpful. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I only chuckled because I had questions about Saybrook, but you just you take me take my mind to a, mm-hmm. a place that I've been trying to think through more. Um, I, how do you marry those two, mm-hmm. right? Like because um, it, there there's part of a fear of like you don't want to devalue scripture, but you also don't want to like. If somebody says to you, hey, I broke my arm, and, and they say, hey, it takes vitamin C, like, you're going to think, at some point, you're going to think, like, um, your vitamin C is not totally helping my broken arm. You know what right. I mean? Right. And so, um, and that's why maybe culture has changed a little bit to where there may have been more of a sense of, like, hey, dust it off. You know what's important. Focus on what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do, you, how do you marry the two? Because if, because there's such a free society, too, in America, especially, but like if, if, say you know the reformed or more the the doctrinally saturated preachers aren't going to uh, address it with some level of voice similar to they do with their sermons, mm-hmm. 
people are going to get it elsewhere, right? Yeah. And and so then then it almost creates more cleanly compartments to their lives. Yeah. I think that might be, I totally get what you're saying. It might be a little bit of a false dichotomy in the sense that every, I think the, the best expositional sermons uh, always have pointed and good application. So um, if you haven't, uh, I do, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a saying or if one guy said it, but it is true. I think that if you, you haven't preached until you've applied it, that's not, you're not done with your sermon until it's applied. Mm. So you have a duty to explain the text, to show, you know, the wonder and the work of God and the drama of redemption through the text, always pointing people to Christ, um, not in a foolish or, um, uh, weird way where you're you know every other sentence of scripture is pointing to christ but in pointing to christ in a way that scripture validates Mm -hmm. um but then you need to apply it just like peter does in second chapter of acts he says now therefore you must do this but i think uh, i do think that if if there's proper application that um you won't have a situation in which people are saying well i feel like i know a lot now sure but like i'm intellectually satisfied right yeah and that that's again that's getting at um the the kind of the twin pillars of saybrook which is it's not just knowledge we're after we're after personal piety which is part of the reason that i love so many of the puritans because they Mm. tenaciously held to both yeah there Um, was no shortage of guys in the church of england or even the roman catholic church for that matter who had brains coming out their ear. I mean, they, they, right. there's no shortage of knowledge. Yeah. The piety was a problem. Luther yeah. found that out when he went to Rome. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a good point. Maybe we should talk about Saybrook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's, uh, re-articulate its vision to me, uh, Saybrook's vision. To... Um, Am I putting you on the spot? Yeah. I'm not, I might not remember it uh, verbatim, but basically to... Um, invigorate and inspire people with um, devotional and didactic content. I, I might not have it totally memorized, but the, the, the idea is um, those two, two pillars. You, hopefully with the content that's on there, <clears throat> you're learning some things. Um, oh yes, refined but, by product. Uh, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Right. Yeah. Um, so hopefully you're not you're learning some things, but also you're being drawn uh, com- compellingly uh-huh. to um, a deeper devotional yeah. walk with Christ. My my thesis would be that that can't help but impact <clears throat> um, any number of modern issues that you would. Bring to the table. So somebody says, "Well, what does that have to do with?" I just, uh, you know, my son just told me he's gay, or my husband's addicted to pornography, or I found out my sister is addicted to pain pills, or I would say that has bearing on all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the content of the website. Yeah. In other yeah. words, this, this, um, yes, not addressed certainly when you're talking about modern issues that are so deep in the weeds of confusion right you're 
a lot of that isn't addressed. Yes. But the application is not a winding river. The application is a fairly straight line. Well, uh, explain what you mean. Well, in other words, if, if I say, well, how am I going to, how does any of this apply to me if I'm struggling to be faithful to my wife? Right. The app, the, it will apply to you in a straighter line than you think. If, as you're challenged into holiness and confirmation to Christ. Um, not in a winding, uh, it's much straighter than you think. Is it in part because you, uh, this is, is it in part because you're saying that um, the circumstances are what they are, but the, um, the relationship, the content is intended to uh, help us see more clearly our relationship with the Lord and the way that that supersedes and transcends the circumstances that we're you know waiting in and and the struggles that those cause us um like if as long as we meditate upon biblical truths more and more then we will see that okay these are burdens in my life these are struggles in my life but what is it that uh, in in what way am i relating to the lord am i communing with him am i you know, becoming closer to him in my Bible reading, and my praying, and my fellowship with believers—is that kind of what you mean? Right. Uh, so the it, it's if somebody it's it's kind of like if someone were to say, um, uh, okay, uh, Ben, I want to. There's a rock in my yard, and I want to move that rock out of the way because it's unsightly, and I don't want it in my yard, and it's. Um, and what I'm saying is through Saybrook, um, your strength is being built. Mm. Now, if, uh, it's true that in, 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 uh, in, I'm not going to tell you... Um, Practic- how, practically how to move the rock. I'm not going to tell you how to move the rock. Right. But I am going to increase your strength. So that if, if you need to do that, that's, that's, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's, it is fair to say, hey, Ben never told me how to move the rock. But it right. is. It, but it's also fair to say. Um, well, I think if you're listening and and reading and paying attention, the the uh, ability is there. Can I ask a critical question? Yes. Uh, well, maybe they all are. But first of all, I want. How dare you? <laughs> Wait, I'm asking the question. Yeah. Too. Um, uh, that I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there a concession then that uh, not all the content's going to be practical? I- immediately practical? Yes. Um, I, 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 from what I know of you in the year that we've known each other and interacted and talked, um, you, you, you love reading, you love thinking, um, and I probably enjoy thinking maybe more than the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, is Saybrook's content going to be harder for some people to wrestle with if they don't, um, if they don't enjoy the posture of just sitting back and thinking about what they've read, what they're hearing in sermons? Mm. Um, I mean, because there's mm-hmm. like uh, sometimes those things are just uh, inefficient energy for some people, mm-hmm. or maybe they're just tiring in general for anybody, you yeah. or me, and it's just oh. Do, would I rather do that, or would I rather watch, you know, any of the other content that's out there, like a cooking video or whatever? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, 
so do you think that it's uh, not intentionally angled at a certain type of personality, but that obviously certain personalities maybe just will pick it up more easily and others are going to struggle with it um, um, in a way that, uh, it, you know. Yeah I, would, yeah, I would be willing to concede that that might be the case. I think, um, I do try to think through, there, there is a baseline of, um, the, the baseline that I established for intelligibility or, or um, just how well, if I'm, if I'm reading an old sermon for a podcast or if I'm sharing a quote from John Owen or whatever, mm-hmm. I do try to be pretty scrupulous as far as making sure it's intelligible to, you know, uh, middle school on up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, in that sense, I think it's broadly accessible. Uh-huh. Um, and in general, one of, um, what I see in history is, um, that people, if, if you call people to, um, if you call people up, or, and if you mm. kind of hold a bar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they will often respond. I do that in our youth at church. Mm. And some are afraid of it, and some respond pretty well. Yeah. But I've had youth uh, res- recite things back to me from a year ago that I was almost sure that they didn't hear. And they recite it almost verbatim. Really? So I know, they can, I know they're listening, yeah. and I know they can uh, get it. Right. So there is a certain part of me that... Um, I want to do as as um, in Christian charity and sympathy. I want to do whatever I can to reach person X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they're at, but at the same time, contra current culture, I am pretty protective of not overly dumbing it down. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, and it's uh, it, to uh, I guess the way that I'm thinking about it now is is you're almost saying, hey. Do you value this or not? Not not necessarily the content of Saybrook, but right. do you value do you value your faith? And part of the yeah. currency of that is not just with your time, but it's also with like, okay, let's wrestle through this. Yeah, I don't need a a a, a conclusion that's uh, low hanging fruit. Yeah, and my my and part of my if I had a biblical warrant or permission, there's times that we see with Moses and Ezra, where. Everybody, in essence, all the people of Israel told, sit down, be quiet. We're going to read the whole Pentateuch today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just listen. Yeah. Um, so I do have some warrant, I think, to saying, no, let's, we can, we can focus for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there certain people um, that you, so in, in, for you, is Saybrook simply an expression of like, hey, I really want to share this with people because it, it has impacted me so much. Um, or are, are you like, are you trying to, uh, are you trying to tell certain people about it? Uh, how, how are you getting your, uh, getting your um, Well, so I've, I've told, uh, you know, a group of friends and acquaintances that I trust and mm-hmm. know, you know, will pray and, and um, they've been in the loop since the beginning yeah. uh, as progress has gone along and the site come out and stuff like that um i don't know uh you could either think that's uh, maddening or um good i don't know i have z- literally zero idea what this would be in 10 years 
Hmm. Perhaps exactly the same thing. Something smaller, bigger. I don't know. Yeah. Do you care? Not too much. I again, I, I, I generally guard against. I, I'm always watching out for Ben's flesh. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you, you'd be happy if this blew up postmortem. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Right. Yeah, I'd be be- like because a- you believe. So your focus so much more is is how can I find good content, and the content, um, it will have its uh, uh, longevity. Yeah. And uh, whether or not it's, you just happen to be a vehicle for it. Yeah. Well, in the same way that if I might read something from John Owen or who was probably the the chief theologian of the uh, brilliant, brilliant guy, chief theologian of the Puritan generation. Jonathan He's not Edwards. easy to read all the time. No. Like it, no, it, his it's prose kind of like is... like a few pages a day type of a thing, right? Yeah, pretty dense prose for sure. Although Banner of Truth has put out some, there's a guy who has helpfully abridged some of his stuff. <laughs> stuff and, and For that, people like me. Right. Well, and me. Um, no, he is, he is for sure a big brain. But the... You can have stuff 300, 400 years later, and we know this is true from Scripture too, that just stops you in your tracks. Yeah. And you, like, you're like, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. You know. And as you look at the lives, again, as a student of biography, if you look at the lives of these people, of the Bunyans and Spurgeons and John Owens, John Owen who lost 10 of his 11 kids, and um, I mean, there's real life going on for these guys. Yeah. Real hardship, real heartache, real joys. Um, so, and, and so that's that's a lot of the nature of the content. Because I I was listening to some of the podcasts, and mm-hmm. it's you reading uh, sermons or reading letters, mm-hmm. stuff that's uh, kind of just uh, you know rebroadcasting stuff that mm-hmm. um, that you found helpful. Uh, do you have you been earmarking these things over the years to? And this happens to be the place where you're now kind of compiling it all? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. But also, um, I have the problem of there's too much. I mean, there's... <laughs> so, it's the problem is, well, I got 50 good things I could share. Right. But um, editing this week I can hard. only do one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then I'm also just mechanics-wise, I'm learning to uh, listen to my own voice, modulate... Um, sometimes, so for instance, this week's podcast was a Whitfield sermon. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't deliver it as Whitfield did because I've read how Whitfield would deliver. Yeah. And, um, however, I don't, um, in my case, so, uh, for instance, I have to watch, my family has told me, um, I, like, I want my family to enjoy it. Mm. Right. Because they're audience number one. Yes. Yeah. And if, but they know how it sounds if dad's being like hectoring or, or, Trent, if or, or or lecturing like because uh, somebody's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And they and, and there's been times when uh, as I've recorded where they're they're feeling that a little bit, and <laughs> so <laughs> and so I want to make so I want to make sure I don't want to turn the family off <laughs> from. So I'm trying to kind of uh, find the right tone. You know, yeah. I'm not a voice actor. Right. So I'm trying but to you do have a good voice. Well, I appreciate that. That's, I can't take too much credit for it. But um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, actually, you know what? The, 
a, a side note. So I, I'd watch my tone. Like the whole and, conversation's been a bit of a side note. But. It's true. Um, I actually sent an email of thanks for uh, to Mark Dever because when I was back at his church on uh, at Capitol Hill at Capitol Hill for a weekender, um, uh, we were there was some Q and A and. Um, we were asking various questions and so they were passing the mic around and stuff and I had a question so I asked him and instead of answering my question he goes are you on the radio? and I said no I'm not on the radio he says well you really ought to think about if you should be on the radio you know what I mean? yeah yeah. Um, and so but I sent him a note recently saying well thank you for that encouragement because I actually Finally, did kind of step into yeah. using the voice a little bit, and I preach at church too. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I think it was my wife who heard his voice, and she's like, "Man, he should read the Bible because Dever's got a great voice too." It's yeah, he does. Like, it, it's kind of yeah, it's easy to listen to and but commanding. Yeah, and he's uh, also a good guy of reading, of has the ability that's not really prescriptive of meaning. Most guys probably shouldn't try to do it in the way he does it, but he has manuscript, full manuscript uh, sermons that he does not deliver like a manuscript. Mm, yeah. He's really good. Yeah. I, and, and it's kind of a sweet spot to not sound too performed. Right. Uh, but to kind of give it some engaging inflection. Right. Yeah. Um, one more thing uh, about Saybrook uh, that I was curious about as I was going through the content. Uh, I see your sermons and then I see that you've read some uh, more historical things that have impacted you. There's an education tab on there. Talk about that. Oh, yeah, that's <clears throat> that's one of those things, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. But <clears throat> um, a um, friend slash acquaintance in uh, the denomination I'm in, Reformed Church in America, Christopher Engelsma, um, has uh, set up these online courses for Greek and Hebrew and things like that. And I came across them and I was like, this is really good stuff. And I'd love to just, in my own <clears throat> humble way, um, promote them. Promote them. Yeah. Okay. And so it's that along with uh, videos from uh, Al Martin, who is um, still with us, but I think his health is kind of on the downturn, um, who's a pastor uh, and who's been influential to many. Um, he's written a few books for Banner, but his um, videos on the life and the call of a pastor, uh, he's another guy who, too, he's kind of like Sproul, where you're like, is he using notes? I don't even know. He's really good. like, um, and, and really deeply felt. Again, right. kind of right in that sweet spot of doctrine and piety. Yeah. Um, so that I added... Um, Again, as kind of a and almost a way too to say, I don't want it to just be about me. Mm -hmm. So if there's other great stuff out there, I'm happy to point to it. Yeah. Um, so that's again kind of a thing. We'll we'll see. Yeah. So you're not you're just kind of using it as a hey. There's also this stuff that's out there, but you're not doing anything to help people engage it further. No, per se. Okay. I mean, if, if there if funds and opportunities came in, you you can do the big thing you can do with funds as far as that is, you know, you can promote websites on social media and stuff like that, and that can get you a fair amount of traction. Yeah. So if there were, you know, it is 
fully tax deductible now. The organization is through the IRS and stuff. So yeah. if anybody, you know, gave towards that, that's probably what I directed to is just directing traffic to the website okay. to get the content. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So. Yeah, let's take a break and then uh, we'll jump into some other things. Cool. That concludes our first episode of Ben Keller of Saybrook Ministries. In our second episode, I indulge Ben and we discuss drumming, his love for it, one of his drumming heroes, and how it fits with his Christian perspective. Stay tuned, and again, stay safe.